Open Patience with Amelia Rope, a podcast about business, well-being and chocolate. Hello and welcome to Hope and Patience. It's me, Amelia Rope, ex-chocolate creator, now podcast creator and your host. If you're new to Hope and Patience, it's great to have you here. A huge hello and thank you. We're going to be exploring, delving into the stories of founders and dipping into pearls of wisdom from wellbeing experts. The guests will be inspirational and the precious insights shared guaranteed to be absolute gems. So today I'm really excited about my guest on the show. She is a seed monger and grower of happiness, to quote my guest's words. And she is also a consultant clinical psychologist. I am. Grace Alexander from Grace Alexander Flowers. So welcome, Grace. Thank you very much, Amelia. Hello. It's lovely to have you here. And I just want to say to the listeners how Grace and I connected, because it was a slight moment of serendipity. Mm. I had um, <laughs> just created Hope and Patience, and Grace was following me. She was one of my first followers. And I thought, wow, that's really nice. Great, I've got some <laughs> followers. And I looked at Grace's Instagram page, and if any of you have not yet seen Grace's Instagram page, check it out. It is a complete work of art. And I was thinking, she'd be fantastic for the show. And as I was emailing Grace, Grace had sent me um, a DM on Instagram saying, could I come on your show? And I'm just so honoured and delighted that you are here. So Grace, what it would be lovely to hear about is the catalyst, the sort of the why of of being immersed in the worlds of seeds. For me, it was something at work. I'd invested a huge amount of my my time, my identity into my career. Um, I was I come from a long line of workaholics. I am a fully fledged workaholic myself, um, and I was working as a child protection psychologist, which is what I still do. But, um, and I thought that was all there is. I thought that um, that was the way that fulfilment lay. Um, and we had something as simple as a, a structural reorganisation. Something happened at work, something happened, which really just blew me out of the water, completely shifted everything for me. And um, I sort of went from thinking I knew what I wanted my life to be and how I wanted it to look, to sort of suddenly thinking, goodness me, suddenly that feels not okay anymore. And I need something that is mine. I need something that is rooted in the soil. And I adore my job and I love my job and I wouldn't do anything else. But there's not a lot of it you can touch. And there's not a lot of it where you can say, there, it's done. That is my job that is done. Um, and growing is a whole different aspect of being and a whole different task. And I was really, really lucky that it just happened that there was a bit of a tiny little scrap of land behind my cottage. And um, everyone thought it was a joke. Everyone thought it was absolutely hilarious that, you know, Grace is setting up um, a flower farm. And I just went out and I looked at it and I thought, that's it, I'm going to grow some flowers. And I planted an orchard and I put down lots of compost and I planted lots of roses and I had something that was mine and something that was beautiful. Did your parents garden a lot? I mean, was that something that was part of your childhood? Yeah, I mean, um, it was just always there. And looking back now, it's been a thread that um, I didn't notice because I think I just thought everybody did. So 
I was actually born in London and we went to Wisley a lot when I was growing up and we went to just lots of gardens at the weekends and spent a lot of time outside. And I've always, um, my childhood was mostly in, in sort of villages with big gardens. But I just, it's just always been there. So looking back now, when I was in my sixth form, I designed, we had a new sixth form built and I designed the landscaping for it. Which, looking back now, is a bit odd. <laughs> so, well, maybe it all makes sense. Do you still see yourself as a workaholic? Yes. Do you think you'll be able to break that um, mould? No. Would you like to break that mould? No. 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 I mean, am I sane and balanced? Mm, gosh, ask people that know me. Uh, probably not. And that's fine. Mind I, you, is anybody? No. Really? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. One of the things that my job gives to my business, which I think is fantastic, is I know exactly how I tick. I'm a complete workaholic and that's absolutely fine. It's what, you know, makes me tick and it makes me happy. And listening to other people's messages that maybe that's not how you should be, that's not good for my mental health. I listen to myself over the messages given to me by others. I can't um, wait to explore later on then in the show the well-being <laughs> aspect, Grace. So, Grace, how? I mean, when I set up my chocolate business, I was part practice manager of a busy doctor's mm -hmm. practice and part running my chocolate business. Mm. How do you juggle both and what what gives you the most pleasure or is it, is it <laughs> both? Um, they both give me different things. Um, they both give me things that I value a lot. As you know, and I think everybody knows who's tried it, running a business is not light and fluffy and it's emails and admin and planning and it's to-do lists and it's everything. So... Um, and I try not to perpetuate that myth on my Instagram, although I make it look very beautiful. I'm not, I don't lie about what I'm up to. I don't, you know, I don't make out that it's all just fluffy and wonderful. There are bits of my job that give me, as a psychologist, that give me just such a huge sense of satisfaction in doing something really important. You know, when you, I'm very aware that what I do has a significant impact on the lives of children forever. You know, when I think about I've got a baby who's six months old. I'm thinking about when they get married, who's going to be there? You know, their families is huge. It's it, They're huge decisions. I have an amazing team who I work with. That gives me a lot. Um, and it, there are lots and lots of things that I get from the job that really are important to me. There are lots of things I get from the business that are really important to me. The ability to be really creative and to be independent, to make my own decisions about things, to... You know, the people I meet in the flower world are just fantastic. I just, I love some of the people I've met and the relationships I've got with people. Um, so what, I think lots of people think that the job's grim and the business is lovely, but actually for me, it's about different aspects of my personality and different aspects of what I find important. I get the best of both worlds because I have both things. So it's a healthy balance. It's feeding different pa parts of you, really. Yeah, I mean, we've already established I'm not terribly sane or balanced, but, no. um, yeah. <laughs> but we've also established that none of us really are. No. Um, which is very refreshing, yeah. actually. Yeah, it's the message that we all should be that causes all the damage, that we're all thinking everyone else has got it sorted and we should be going to yoga. I mean, I agree. <laughs> did you, back, back, back on the um, flower business, when you set up the business, did you imagine all the sort of dross that goes with running your own business. I mean, I, I don't think I did. I thought it was just going to be making lovely chocolate and, and just sort of breezing around. I, <laughs> I didn't take on, I mean, this was 2007, but I didn't take on board the the really sort of the heavy returns. stuff. <laughs> well, and people copying you and, um, yeah, and, and production issues, all that sort of side of things. 
No, I had no idea at all. But I also didn't have any idea about the good bits either. I don't think I... Because I think it was such a reaction to um, a very different, difficult emotional experience, I don't think I really thought it through at all. I, and actually, I didn't really think... I don't think I really thought it would become a thing. Um, I just sort of did it and it was just a bit of a joke and it was a bit of... And then people started employing me to do their weddings. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm a florist. This is a bit crazy. Um, and I had this whole other life. So Grace Alexander isn't my birth name. So oh, really? No, you, Can I you know. share your, your... No, I can't. No. no. So, so um, did you create it? Yeah. So I had, a, I had my name as a psychologist. Um, which is incredibly Googleable, unfortunately. And I thought, do you have two names then? Still going? No, not anymore. Okay. So there was a huge moment in my life where I thought, you know, I am ready to be Grace Alexander all the time. So actually, it's my husband's first name. So um, because obviously I work. Hold with... on, Alexander's the first name. Yes, his name's Alexander. He's not Alexander Grace. No, <laughs> I have suggested. <laughs> I have suggested. Make it very easy. Yeah. Or when we got married, I said, you know, do you think you should be Alexander Alexander? And he said, no, that was not going to happen. But um, but I obviously because the the sort of people that I work with, and obviously I make some you know recommendations, and I you know do some assessments that are quite unpopular and quite risky and quite dangerous. Um, I was very clear that when I set up in the flowers, I didn't really want necessarily there to be an overlap, so people could Google me or find me or. Um, write things on my Facebook page about um, the work that I might have done with their family. So um, I created a whole new identity, a whole new sort of life that was completely parallel to this sort of difficult time that I was going it's through with my incredible. job. Yeah, and um, also my birth names were quite difficult to spell and it right. really used to annoy me. So want to know what her <laughs> birth name is. But anyway, hey listeners, if yeah. anyone discovers it, share it. Not publicly, just no, send an publicly. email. Send an email. I promise yeah. not share it to anyone. Yeah. With your business, Grace, I mean, with your you're in you founded it as far as I'm aware in 2013. Yes. So you're in that sort of um edgy time when you're potentially looking to scale up. Mm. Is it a business that that is going to be easy to scale up. How do you, what do you see with the scalability side of it? Um, if I was a different person, it would probably be quite easy to scale. And lots of people I've spoken to have said, ah, yeah, okay, this is, this is you know, where you need to go with it. And I've had re some really lovely advice from people who've, who've made that step really successfully. And then I find myself at one o'clock in the morning with a teaspoon in a bowl and a bag of seeds, packing my own seed packets, thinking, what the fuck am I doing? But, and I know intellectually that, you know, and lots of people have suggested how you source people who could come and help and, you know, someone who's in the village who just wants, you know, a couple of hours part-time work, she could come and pack your seeds for you and she'll be great. I cannot let go. I cannot let go of the really mundane physical act of I print all my seed packets, I pack all my seed packets. If you open a packet of seed packets and it's got the little inner it, I have packed that for you. And I find that bit really hard to let go of. So in terms of scaling, I just don't think I can do it. It's, it's, that's a really interesting one, Grace, because when I set up my business, it was very artisan and mm. I did everything and, and I made my crystallized chocolate dip mm. petals and stuff like that. 
And then I went into bars, and although I didn't physically make the bar, mm-hmm. I hand-foiled them, yeah. hand-wrapped them, yeah. hand-signed them. Yeah. If you ordered online, you got a handwritten yeah. note. I knew all my customers. Yeah. I used to put in little extras, yeah. and it was all, you know, it was lovely. And yeah. I really enjoyed it because I felt very connected. Yeah. And then I had a bit like you, that scaling-up issue with going to a big production unit. Mm. We don't want to hand-foil. I have actually got a fab team who st- still mm. are doing hand-foiling. But, you know, we d- and I couldn't hand sign anything it wasn't going to work and it's it is a really big thing and I think it can take quite a lot of time to get your head around it and it almost needs to be in stages it almost Mm. needs for someone to put in a whacking great order and you think you know what well there you go and so (laughs) all these little things you think okay well you know I can't be up till one or two in the Mm. morning anymore to be doing this Mm. I need something I mean toast is fantastic and I was going to mention that later you must be so proud I'm so proud so great how how are you 10 days I was stocked in toast and they put in a reorder, which well I done. am so thrilled about, slash Brilliant. exhausted in anticipation of. <laughs> okay, but how how do you see getting over that challenge? Because or, do, or will you just try and keep it contained so that it's small and niche? I think, and I'm sort of going to link the, the, the two stories here about how I started and what I started for. This is not a business that I started for the sake of it. The role of my business is to make me happy, essentially. It's to have wonderful conversations with people like you. It's to be able to express what I want to do on Instagram. So lots of people are very rude on Instagram and it you know, gets quite a bad rap at the moment. I love Instagram. Yeah, I love it too. I love it. Especially story time. I just, <laughs> I love photography. I love the conversations that I have on Instagram. I love looking at how other people, you know, construct their lives. I I love the aesthetic of it. I just, when I stop enjoying it, I'm going to stop doing this. This is not, this is not something that I want to scale for the sake of it. And if it doesn't feel comfortable or feel right for me to scale, I will just not. Um, And so already I've sort of, I've really capped my wholesale stockists because basically I, you know, if I don't absolutely adore your shop and wouldn't shop in that shop myself, I don't, I don't stock those shops. Um, So I had sort of a top three dream stockist, Toast, Bailey's, Midgley Green and Clevedon. I was just, and once I was in those, I was like, I've, I'm done. That's amazing. So... All I will do is I will keep the business doing what I want it to do. And that means the relationships I have with my customers, supporting my field, supporting, you know, the lifestyle that I have in terms of my field and supporting those relationships. I don't I don't need to scale it because that's not what it's for for me. I don't want to have the stress of, you know, have I got to arrange something for this person to come on Tuesday mornings to do this? I don't want it. One thing that I... Um was when I was looking at your website and just exploring, delving into the world of Grace mm. Alexander Flowers. <laughs> and I thought, gosh, if I ever get married, I want you to do my flowers. <laughs> I mean, but is that a challenge in itself? Because, you know, what if there's a, there is a storm and all your blooms are off and the bride's saying, oh. where's my bouquet? And is it a challenge or is it you that's, find that? That's why I sell seeds. I don't oh, do, oh, I don't you don't do, do any flowers. flowers anymore. And actually, when I started and I was a florist, it was exactly that, that um, I can still remember. I was standing by my window and I had this beautiful um, row of 
David Austin Rose is outside my sitting room window and I was just about to go and do a workshop um, for British Flowers Week in June and it started to rain. It was about six o'clock in the morning. It started to rain and I just watched all of these roses just oh, hit the God. deck and I was like, this is not worth it. This is not worth it. And so I'd been doing some really big weddings by then. I'd really loved them. I had some lovely couples who came to me and really wanted me to do their weddings. And it was such a privilege and such an honour. And I, I did love it. And I just, I felt like such a florist. But, you know, I was crawling into work on a Monday morning thinking, I get paid to sit here and, you know, interview people and write notes and write reports and stuff. This is easy. Being a florist is hard. And I thought, I don't need that. That's not, that's not what this is for. So I think, I can't remember where I've been, but I did one of those car journeys where, you know, when you just, you have the time to just drive and think and reflect on things. And I came home and I said to my husband, the only thing I like better than flowers is seeds. And he was like, oh my God, what now? And I said, no, I've got this idea. I've got this idea. And um, and so I have all the loveliness of flowers and absolute zero stress. Is it um, challenging to collect the seeds? Is it very precise to the time when you harvest? And again, I mean, I've just got storm obsession because that's what we've been (laughs) living in. I went to my parents and their greenhouse panels just flew out and and it nearly was a disaster. So, you know, does the weather, ultimately climate change too, affect the, the the seeds, how many you collect, the quality of the seeds. Top tip, always shut your greenhouse when there's a storm coming. Uh, he forgot and that's what... Oh, you never, God. ever, ever, ever forget. My my greenhouse has blown away three times now <gasps> um, and every time my husband has to rebuild it and um, now I do not forget. Once you've seen a greenhouse in a crumpled heap, you don't forget. No. Um, they're a lot easier than flowers and actually, you know, I'm very careful about what sort of flowers and what sort of seeds I stock and I you know I make sure they're ones that grow really easily and there's nothing terribly troublesome and they're just ones that in terms of growing happiness I don't want to do sort of fiddly difficult things I want ones that are just abundant and give joy and are just really really easy Um, and I'm very lucky because I think there's a there's a whole movement now about uh, saving seed, collecting seed, growing at home. I brought out a Dyer's Garden collection, which people just yeah, which looks completely. Beautiful. Yeah, so I've cleared a bit of ground in my field that I'm going to have my own Dyer's Garden this year as well. So um, I can't wait for spring to get started for that. Do they have shelf life seeds out of interest? They do, but if you keep them in the fridge and you don't put them in the sunshine, they'll you know they'll last as long as you need them to mostly. Wow. Um, I'm just moving moving sweetly on mm. to um, not chocolate, actually. We're not having chocolates anyway, something different. Mm. But um, moving on to sort of the mindset of Grace, mm-hmm. do you, um, would you say you're a morning person or an afternoon person? And if you're, a, it, does that influence, if you've got to make big decisions, whether it's at work, work, or mm-hmm. whether it's doing the seed mongery, are you better when, because you're a morning person to make your decisions then? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I would say that I have different times of the day for different things. So um, I'm a very early riser, although, no, I'm an early waker, but um, every morning starts the same. So I have a coffee machine next to my bed and uh, we have two cups of coffee in bed and the dogs come upstairs and they all get into bed for coffee and cuddles in the morning. So that's how I start my day. And that's often my 
doing bits time. So very often I'll post on Instagram there, I'll answer some emails there, I'll read a bit. I'll... So it's a sort of quite a nice protected time where I start the day with a bit of sort of action and activity and intention in quite a relaxed sort of way. Um, I write best at night. So mm. my job is actually very flexible in terms of my hours because often I'm at my most creative at sort of nine, ten o'clock at night. Um, and so if I have a very difficult assessment to write up or if I have something that I really need to be um, writing in terms of work, very often I will do that at night. And sort of because I think my mind sort of churns on things. and I'm, I'm, I'm a big gestator. Like I, I don't. I know not to try and rush myself in terms of either decisions or thinking or coming to conclusions about things. I can recognise the sensation of needing to let something sit for a bit. I'm a bit like a big coffee pot. I just sort of percolate and then plunge at the end and then suddenly it's all brewed. But um, uh, So I would say in terms of decision making, it's when I don't rush it. It's less a time of day than the amount of time that I've been letting it sit for. Would you say that you are a perfectionist and have high expectations? Yes, I would. Um, although I had a, I had a guy who came um, and helped me in the garden for a bit, and he was quite OCD. And um, I said to him, I was a bit of a perfectionist, and he choked laughing because. On the outside, my life looks incredibly chaotic and untidy. Uh, okay. <laughs> it was just like, he was just like, you're not a perfectionist. You haven't put those foxgloves out and they've been there for three weeks. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. Optimist or pessimist? Optimist. I'm the luckiest person in the world. Absolutely. And do you have, um, I know it sounds sort of therapy talk in a way, but I, with the inner critic thing, it's always something that fascinates me mm. because mine is now much better at better than it was but I do sort of whip myself quite hard at mm -hmm. times do you have that inner critic at all and and if you do how do you keep it at bay mm. everyone has the inner critic and if anyone tells you they don't they're lying great um absolutely and I think I'm very clear on my psychologist not a psychotherapist I do some therapy and um like I said at the beginning a huge part of being a psychologist you have to do the work on yourself you have to know when your mind is getting in your way you have to know when your mind is not being helpful so coming in here I mean this is the first time I've done a podcast and anything that looks like this situation and I could feel my body going oh my god like I'm not I you know I'm very good at managing anxiety because I have quite high stress but I could feel it in my knees and that's really unusual for me I could feel anxiety in my knees and I thought right okay I know what you're telling me which is run away now this is too big and it's too scary but it's okay it's going to be okay. It's fine. And it's quite cosy sitting And it's in quite here. nice and actually... Not much green. We've got a lot no. of cabling around yeah. us um, and barrows. And we've got the, the wonderful producer and the wonderful Dan, yeah. sound guy. Yeah. Can't forget them. Yeah. So now we're not having a chocolate break. Grace has selected cheese. <gasps> so and exciting. And I'm just going to mention my lovely little cheese company, uh, in Pimlico called Rippon Cheese because they are superb and they're a little small independent. And the cheese that we've got today is called Sel sur Cher. Wow. 
And I ha- I love goat's cheese, but I did say not too goaty, I'm afraid. <laughs> not too farmyard. Um, so it is, uh, I'm just having a quick thing at the crib sheet. Uh, it's it's faintly heavy and elastic, <laughs> but it's followed by softening as it melts in one's mouth. Mm. So incredible. let's tuck in. Um, you're going to hear a bit of a crickle crackle. I've got um, a knife that I've taken from my kitchen. How do we do this with a... I- I'm going to swing around here. <laughs> Shall I open the biscuits? Yes, open the biscuits. I haven't got a plate. It doesn't matter. Anyway, this, I th- I feel it's going to be really pungent, but it's going to accompany Grace back to summer. Oh, Sarah. thank you. Probably be good with some cider. Oh, scrumpy. lovely, lovely. Is it a scrumpy that comes from Somerset? Cider? Yeah, Both. it is, yeah. We do have some cider apple trees in the orchard, but we've yet to make our own cider. Oh, yum. Is that pungent? That's pungent. Actually, hold on, listeners. Just going to take a photo of this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've got to think of Instagram, haven't you? I know we're running a podcast, but there is... I'm always thinking about Instagram. ...stuff to be done. Right, Grace, you cut the cheese and tuck in to the biscuits. be interesting to see. I don't think the producer's going to rush in, Chris, today because he's had a sick bug. And I think probably he thinks cheese might not be good for it. Is it good? Good. Excellent. Okay, tuck in. While you're um, plating up your biscuit, I'm just going to fire some questions at you, if that's okay. okay. Keep keep us with no time to rest, Grace. It's busy, busy, busy. So I would like to ask you... Is this um, the quick fire round? It's like it's the quick fire fire round. round. Um, What was that show, slightly off-piste, you might not have watched it, where they used to go, do you remember the cross that came up? (laughs) What was that called? (laughs) Family Fortunes, that's it. Right, back to it. Great, and very serious note. And and while you answer this, I'm going to have some cheese did you yeah. eat that no but like uh, they're going to be quite crunchy and i think the idea no no crunch we crunch. crunch you want me to crunch crunch i'd love to know your thoughts on the words success and failure mm. um i can't work out how to say this without sounding incredibly smug and i genuinely don't mean it to be incredibly smug but somebody else asked me about my relationship with failure and i just thought I can't, it's not that I can't think of a time where I failed, but life sort of is, um, it doesn't stop at those moments, so it just sort of keeps going. And so something that might be a failure is then just part of the running a business. I think going back to the optimist question, I think when something's failed, I just sort of move on. I just don't, I don't sit with it particularly. I try something else. And success? I think... I'm a very goal-orientated person. I'm very big on setting intentions, setting goals, setting where I want things to be. But I think probably the flip side of not really feeling failure is I don't always feel success either. So because I'm always moving and always growing. So I think that's probably my blessing and my curse is that I don't always sit with things. So I don't necessarily get derailed by failure, but I don't always take the time to really appreciate the successes but I think there's something about um so there's a bit of the brain that sort of promises you things if you achieve your goal you know it, it keeps you moving it keeps you driving and it's about sort of delaying gratification and it's about putting aside short-term pleasure for long-term gain I've got really persuasive frontal lobes which say you know if you work really 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 hard for ages you can have a sit down at the end Maybe maybe in a year, 
maybe in 18 months, maybe once you've supplied toast, maybe when you've, wow. you know, got, you know, maybe maybe then you can rest. Uh, but of course, that moment never comes. And so I have this sort of, um, I talk about it a lot in terms of there's someone, you know, holding a carrot on a stick that just keeps me going. Um, and I don't always, I don't ever get the carrot. So this is sort of the workaholic yeah. thing, which means that I don't ever really let myself enjoy the successes because I'm always on to the next thing and the next thing and the goals and the goalposts always move because it's a bit like the scaling thing is, you know, how big are you going to make this? How big are you going to, you know, people always ask me when I'm going to give up my job. And, you know, I think there's a cultural thing as well about just keep growing, keep growing, keep growing for the sake of it when actually that's not always helpful. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly what I I felt with my business was that in a way I was on this sort of this momentum of people just saying, well, you need to expand. And then mm. when you get investors, you've got to think big. But yeah. ultimately, am I a big person? I don't know whether that mm. that's who I am. So we're now going to move into the well-being section. Mm. Uh, what I didn't realise that I found out this weekend is that you would probably know this. GPs are now social prescribing, mm. which sounds fantastic. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. So Grace... Stress, that dreaded word, overused mm -hmm. word, a bit mm -hmm. like luxury, but complete opposite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How and where mm -hmm. does stress affect you? I quite like stress. I think stress is, um, we've, we've made it mean something. When I'm in a situation where I can tell my brain is looking at it and thinking, oh my goodness, I'm not going to be able to match up to this. That's when sort of stress starts to get involved. Usually... There's a bit of management around that that I think, well, I've you know, just got to do this. We're going to have to somehow manage it and I have three cups of coffee and pull myself together and, and off we go. But actually, um, I don't know if you've come across the word work of um, Emily Nagotsky and completing the stress cycle. And I think the problem is we're often in situations where we're under a huge amount of pressure all of the time. So we never complete the stress cycle. So I know what situations I find acutely stressful. So um, giving evidence in court is one of them. Um, if I'm in a situation at work where actually there's a real physical threat to my safety. So I'm with someone who's quite aggressive and it's my role to manage them. And I know that after that experience, my adrenaline will be coursing through my body and I have to find a way to finish that off and, and to complete that stress cycle. I think the problem is lots of the stress we have are quite chronic. Um, lots of people are talking about, you know, having breaks from Instagram and social media detoxes, and which is great if actually they find... Instagram stressful. But again, it's about our perception of situations. I don't find Instagram stressful, so it doesn't make any sense to take a break from it. So well-being, we've heard how you start your day with mm. your two coffees. Um, <laughs> and my dogs. And, my, yeah. and your dogs, my dogs and your husband. Yes. Um, how do you end it? You know, where, where, what's the sort of thing that you do for the final relaxation of your day? I don't think I necessarily... Well, I fill up the coffee machine. That's what I do. Um, <laughs> but my husband does that mostly. Um, I don't think I necessarily have an end of day routine, to be honest. Um, I think light is very important to me. And there's a moment where I go into the bedroom, put the bedside light on, which is lovely, which always feels like the end of the day. But I don't have a winding down routine. I don't have any of this. No phones in the bedroom. I don't, you know, it's just all go. Um, and then make a list for the next day. And then just stop. And do you manage to sleep through the night most of the time? No. So if you wake <laughs> up during the night, do you get up and read a book or do you lay in bed thinking, OK, let's ride with this? And 
it depends if the reason that I've been woken up is the spaniels climbed into bed, which is quite often what happens. Um, no, I've traditionally always woken up at three o'clock in the morning for about half an hour. Um, I tend to put something on the radio and then just go back to sleep. I can't, I can't remember the last time I slept all the way through the night. It's very unusual. Um, but it doesn't particularly bother me. So, I think we all have our patterns, don't we? Yeah. Um, I wasn't asked you about the phone, but you've you've definitely answered that one. How do you survive the onslaught of digital life? Do you think that it is too much, and and makes you compromise your well being side, or do you feel it's okay? The problem is never the thing. The problem is what we make about the thing. So, Instagram is not the problem. It's our relationship with Instagram and our view of Instagram and what we're making Instagram mean to us. It's very, very unusual that I feel any negative effects from Instagram. But beyond Instagram, so sort of emails or um, messages, you know, the whole Mm. sort of thing of it rather than just Instagram. Yeah, it's very unusual that I think I need to just not check my email for a bit. And they took my work email off my personal phone. (laughs) Great. That sounds a really positive thing. Which well means done. I now Never have did to that. carry... Well, it was for... Uh, GDPR. It was for GDPR. <laughs> <laughs> and all the clinical stuff that I carry around. But it just means I now have to carry around two phones. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't find that things leave much of a trace. I can check an email, either answer it or not answer it, and then it, it doesn't really persist. I just move on to the next thing. And I think that's okay. So I think it's it's knowing when you need to step away from it. And and also if it's getting in the way of real life relationships, I think that is that's really important. And you've got if, how many dogs? Two? Three? Three. Three, three dogs. Because when I first tried to get hold of Grace, uh, she was walking the dogs. And there, and that sounds really positive because you seem yes. to have a set regime of taking them out. Oh, you so can't th- argue with a dog who wants a walk. No. It's just <laughs> not <an laughs> no point. Waste, yeah. of, waste yeah. of time. So that's yeah. really good. Do you um, have a favourite hideaway that you'd be happy to share with the listeners at all? Well, we've sort of talked about this before between ourselves about actually my hideaway is very much my home and if you follow me on Instagram or you see any of the pictures of my business it's very much located in my beautiful thatched cottage in Somerset and so now I'm afraid people can't come and hide away in it with me but I think although relationships that I formed through my business are really important to me actually I'm quite an introvert I can go out in the world and be you know confident assertive and do what I need to do but then I very much need to go back to my home to my thick cob walls and I need to be inside my home and and there and that time at home is incredibly important Mm. to me I do not function if I don't have a base to go back to and a place to sort of withdraw from the world so I would say you know lots of people need lots of holidays and things like that and actually I don't find that I do I don't find that I need I want to be away I always think I do, but now I've been in town for what twelve hours, and I'm like, oh gosh, yeah, you want to get back? <laughs> want to get back? Most like, oh, definitely. Gosh. You know. Do you have a book or a song that you would recommend at all to our lovely listeners? That's on the spot. Um, yes, Grace has not been primed. I've not been prepared for that. Um, While you're thinking, I'm gonna have another bite of the cheese and biscuit. Sorry. I think I read a lot of books. I have a lot of books. It's one of my things that I really can't. Um, trying to produce my consumerism but books I just can't let go of but I would say that everybody has a book from a time in their life where 
things seemed a bit simpler. I'm a great rereader of books and I think everyone has a comfort book. Okay, so what is your comfort book then? Well, we're waiting with anticipation. I would say one of two, and it depends how life's going. Anita Bruckner, Hotel de Lac, is one of my favourites. Mm -hmm. Just every time I read it, I get something different out of it. And it's so beautifully written and it's so strong in the most feminine and female way, which I just adore. Um, if I am finding that life is just a bit much um, and it's all got a bit serious, nothing beats a Jilly Cooper. Oh, for... lovely Jilly. I was, uh, her, her son was my, this is my little thing, but he was, we were flatmates. No. Years ago. Felix. Hello, Felix, if you're tuning in. <laughs> but they're a real um, rip-roaring read, Jilly Funnily Coopers. enough, I think, and it may have been Felix, uh, my husband was on um, a placement, a doctor's surgery, and I think one of the doctors was the best friend's of Jilly Cooper's son. How funny. So this may be one of those seven degrees of separation things. Yeah. But um, I recognise in myself lots of things we talked about today in terms of my brain is always moving forward and my brain is always striving. I am a big future striver, planner, striver, worker, keep going. And there is something about Jilly Cooper which just cuts through all of that and it's just completely unrealistic and completely fantastical and completely in the moment and completely joyous in a sort of a completely non-striving way. Which, yeah, she um, is, 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 it, they are really good. Whilst also recognising she's an incredibly hard worker, actually, is Jenny Cooper. But, you know, the product, the emotional experience of reading that book is to just stop me in my tracks and to just remove me Riders. from my life. Riders, the one I remember. Rupert, somebody black. Anyway, okay, moving, getting, keeping focus and keeping the show on the road. Can you remember when you have had to have bucket loads of, of hope and also when you've had to remember a lot of patients, because obviously links mm. into home patients, my two grannies. I would say I am currently waiting for something to happen in my life, waiting for something really big to happen. Um, and I think for the first time in my life, it's something that I can't make happen by working really hard because there is something that's sort of going on slightly parallel to my business and to my job, which is out of my control. And it's been going on for probably nearly a year now. And I have railed against this. I have found it so hard because actually I think I've sort of learned mistakenly that I can, if I work hard enough, I can make anything happen. And this is something that I am having to be incredibly patient with. And I have to work, you know, I can feel myself getting, you know, what can we do about this? How can we, how can we make this happen? And having to really talk myself down again, saying it'll happen in its own time. It'll happen. It'll happen. Um, I've tried visioning. I've tried you know, uh, manifesting. I've tried praying. I've tried everything and I cannot make this thing happen any faster than it's going to happen. So I would say actually now, probably for the first time in my life, I'm really digging into those buckets of hope and patience. Um, but I'm not finding it easy. No, I'm very not doing difficult. <laughs> no. I still, I mean, I, I yeah, broke my toe and I'm still being patient to try and mend that. But oh, but gosh. even with, with things like the show and it's a startup and stuff mm. like that, you've got to have hope and you've got to have patience. So, um... 
Grace, have you got anything that you'd like to share, anything new? Um, the website is gracealexanderflowers.co.uk. You're stocked, as you said, in in the wonderful toast. Um, online? Yes, online, yeah. Caro in Somerset, is that another uh, one? Caro in Somerset is a beautiful, beautiful shop in Bruton. Um, I'm stocked there. I have lots and lots of stockists all over the country now. Um, some of them are listed on my website, The Newt in Bruton, which is the most beautiful, absolutely beautiful farm shop and home shop and estate and gardens and absolutely glorious. If anyone has the opportunity to go, highly recommend it. Um, lots and lots of different places, but also uh, The Future Kept online, which is a really beautiful website if you haven't seen it. It's one of the big inspirations for my website. Um, and Jessica and Dean, who run The Future Kept, are amazing people amazing creatives um, and Dean has been and photographed my field and Great. hopefully we'll do so again so there are loads of places everybody to buy Grace's seeds I'm definitely going to get some for my mother sadly I have a garden um, which I miss so um, just to, to end the show the book that I want to recommend is Wabi Sabi by Beth Kempton which funnily enough mm. was reminded to me when I was reading Grace's website and your it was the influence behind your curation of the seeds for mm. toast. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a really, really, really good book and it is beautiful. It's something that you just want to show off in, in ways. Mm. Visually, it's very pleasing. So the quote for the show is by Arianna Huffington. Boundaries are my oxygen. I would like to say thank you so much to Grace for coming all this way. It's been just lovely because I feel that we've just chatted. So thank you for sharing all that you've shared. You're very welcome. And thank you to the listeners, my lovely listeners, for finding us. So I'll be back with another story soon. So make sure that you subscribe to the latest episode. And if you like what you hear, please give us a positive rating. I would also love to know what you'd like to hear more of, less of, and importantly to none of. Just let me know via the website. So until next time, keep sparkling. Bye. Hope and Patience with Amelia Rope. Join the conversation at hopeandpatience.co.uk or find Amelia on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Hope and Patience.